0: Ask anyone who knew him well, and they'll all tell you the same thing. G.R. French had a very sharp mind, and that mind was dedicated to God's kingdom. This sermon was preached to the congregation at Hobe Sound Bible Church in Hobe Sound, Florida in 1986. And he titles this sermon,
1: Who's Boss in Your Life? I know you're going to enjoy this wonderful message. I don't want to take for
0: granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Start out with a little story that my brother told me recently. <clears throat> happened in Rock Hill, South Carolina, where he lives. The church that he attended uh, at that time was uh, having, and this happened just fairly recently within the last few months, <laughs> Um, had rented or obtained the high school gymnasium for some kind of uh, gathering that they were having there. And they had gathered in the gymnasium and uh, people had gathered in and there was quite a crowd there. And while uh, during that time of their meeting, three boys walked into the gymnasium, not a part of the church or not uh, connected in any way with the group that was meeting there, And they had a great big old boom box on their shoulder. Now, you folks that don't know what a boom box is, why, you're behind the times. Great big old boom box, about that long, about that big. And uh, they had it turned up, uh, and they had a basketball under their arm, and they came in and set that boom box, that radio, right down in the middle of the floor and turned it up as loud as it would go and then began to shoot baskets. Well, the church people looked at one another as though to say, what are we going to do now? But it was obvious that the attitude of the boys was such that they were uh, angling for a fight. They were exerting themselves. Nobody was going to push them around. Nobody was going to tell them what to do. And so they began to shoot baskets and the church people didn't want to fight. So they just simply put up with it and went on with their meeting the best they could and decided not to fight the situation. Well, that's from their perspective. There are three perspectives to this story, three views of this story that I want to give you tonight. And I've just given you the view from the standpoint of the church people. As far as the boys were concerned, they went away feeling pretty good about themselves. They had provoked a confrontation and they had won. They had proved that nobody was going to push me around I'll just, if I want to turn up my radio, I'll turn up my radio. If I want to play basketball during a church meeting, I'll play basketball during a church meeting. Nobody's going to push me around. But there's another perspective, another uh, view of that story that that, uh, takes a little time to unfold. And since we can't see the future and the consequences of our attitudes and our actions right away, many times we think we've won when we've actually lost. When I first heard that story, I'll be honest with you, I, uh, my sanctified anger began to rise a little bit. Do you have that? <laughs> well, I'll let you call it whatever you want to, but I, I was a little bit stirred. I thought somebody should take those boys in hand. Somebody should have done something. Well, maybe so. The right, the right people should have done something. But I suspect that probably nobody could have done anything right at the moment without having a scene on their hand and maybe a riot. But we missed the connection. Then the more I thought about it, and this is the essence of the message I want to give tonight, the more I thought about it, the more I began to feel sorry for those boys. The more I began to realize how pathetic was their bondage and how tragic would be their end if they continued in that direction. And this is the real story that happens to thousands of people over and over again, and that is causing problems in our society today. And right now, I'm leaving these three boys, and I want to talk about the story of thousands of people who start out the same way. And here's what happened. Here's what happens. We start out early in life, beginning to try to manipulate people, beginning to try to exert our independence, refusing to be pushed around. I saw some research just recently, or heard it, research, that, that seems inconceivable. I can't prove it and I can't disprove it. Uh, those who gave it claim that there's research behind it. That from the first few hours of a child's life when that child is born into the world they begin to learn to manipulate their parents I don't mean the first few years I mean the first few hours they begin to learn to manipulate their parents Arnie you be careful tonight those two little twin girls are beginning to manipulate you They're they're learning they know you they're learning you And they're going to find out just how far they can manipulate you. Uh, So we grow up learning how to manipulate people, learning how to control other people so they won't control us, learning to stand up for number one, learning to resist authority, learning not to be pushed around to exert our independence. And so we do things that prove that we will do what we want to do, and nobody can stop us. We go out and do a lawn. Again, uh, some of you uh, people may not know what that is. That's not mowing a lawn. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> that's running across a lawn with a car and then skidding around so it tears the lawn up. And that's great sport nowadays. Do a lawn. Go out and do a lawn prove who you are, do, do something that nobody can do, a, uh, do a, anything about, or we uh, slip out and get drunk, or we tell our parents where to get off, and the teachers too, and maybe the cops, tell them where to get off. We know that they don't like our listening to rock and roll, so we get these little uh, newfangled things that you can hook on your belt with earphones. And then we turn it up and walk around and have a smile on our face and people don't know what we're listening to. And we're saying, "Mm Mm-hmm, pulled another one on you. You think you're in control. You don't know anything. I'm in control. I listen to the music I want to listen to when I want to listen to it. And all this newfangled technology gives greater privilege to independence to go out and do our thing without being accountable for it. So we speed, we try a little pot, we're winning. We're doing what we want to do. Nobody's pushing us around. We've proved our point. We're in charge. That is, we think. But there's where the tragedy is. There's where the tragedy is. Let me tell you the rest of the story. When the teachers began to give us some hassle at school, And we say, I'm not going to take that. Nobody's going to push me around and drop out. We're not winning. We're not winning. We're losing. When we get a job and a car and we cruise around with the car stereo turned up and uh, feel like we got it made in the shade, lemonade, feel like that we're, you know, we're in control. We're not winning. We're not winning. And we decide to get married And we say, you know one of the reasons that kids that get into trouble want to get married? Do you know one of the reasons? Because when we feel like we're being pushed around, we're being dominated, boy, we really want to get in a situation where we can dominate somebody else. Better watch out, girls. You better watch out. I've listened to too many stories, seen too many tears, Heard too many sobs to be fooled on that point. Too many boys want to feel like that uh, I'm in control of things and if I can just get out of the house and get married. Man, I heard one just recently that had nearly seared the hair off your head. Two kids wanted to get married. thought they'd get. And I, I don't dare go into the story. I, I don't dare. It's too close around. It's not here, but, uh, but it's too close around. I don't dare go into the story. But kids that couldn't make it in school, kids that couldn't make it at home, kids that couldn't make it with the law, kids that are now in prison feel like if they can just get out and get married, they've got it made. Oh, listen, you're not fooling anybody but yourself. You're not fooling anybody but yourself. Finally, we decide to get married, get out of the house. No need to take all the hassle our parents are giving us. After all, a girlfriend or a boy stand, boyfriend, they really understand us. Let me tell you something. Just because somebody's willing to listen to us, and that's a wonderful thing, and parents, we ought to learn to listen more than we listen. Many times the people that listen or will listen to us are the people we appreciate. But just because somebody's willing to listen to us doesn't mean they've got the answer. And too many times people that are willing to listen are the people that will lead us in the wrong direction. But so we feel like they understand us and after all we want somebody to dominate. But for some reason things just don't work out. And this happens so much till it's, it's, it's almost a dead certain certainty. Almost a dead certainty. It happens so frequently. The chances of teenage marriages working out are almost zilch. I mean, everything's against it. Everything's against it. And the fact that we feel like that we can make it work out against that is if it's against our parents wishes if it's against the counsel of those that really are that really love us the chances of it working out are almost zero so so we feel like well everybody else is doing it so we get divorced skip out leave her with the kids do you know there's a new group of people that are called the new poor You know who they are the new poor sociologists have labeled them the new pure poor you know who they are they're mothers that have been left with kids young mothers and the husbands have skipped out most of them don't even pay alimony no sense of responsibility you see the same thing that made those boys walk into that uh, walk into that, ba- that uh, gymnasium, turn up that boom box and shoot baskets, as though saying, nobody can push me around, is exactly the same attitude that causes a fellow to walk out on his wife and his little kids and take no responsibility for them. That's exactly it. And the process is Continuing. I, I want to I be careful here. I am not saying that no teenage marriages can work out. I am not saying that everything's... I am saying that the, that the, that the statistics are stacked against it, particularly if your parents are against it. Now, if, it were other, if it's otherwise, or if you're already into it, let me tell you something. God can help you if, your attitude is right. He can. God's a God of grace. God's a God of mercy. It doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be otherwise. God can save a situation. The new poor. These are young mothers with, no, with, with, with that, that are trying to support their children, having to put their children in a daycare center while they go off to work and making minimum wages and trying to support their children while their husband's off tomcatting around somewhere. You think that's fair? Not if you've got any sensibility about you at all. Not if you've got any manhood about you. Not if you've got anything that's worth anything about you. That's not not fair. But that's what's happening all across this country. Well, so you say we made a mistake, but this time I know what I'm doing, so we marry again think we can handle it this time we've been through it before we know all about it nobody's going to tell us we know we didn't listen the last time but we know we've been through it this time but second marriages have even less chance of making it and there's tragedy beyond tragedy down that road and the summary is a life of fighting a life of quarreling a life of jumping from here to there a life of moving from one job to another, a life of disillusionment, a life of disappointment, a life of low self-esteem. There's a reason why suicide is the second highest killer among teenagers today. You know who commits suicide? Kids that started out saying, nobody's going to push me around. Kids that started out saying, I'll do my own thing kids that started out snubbing their nose at their parents and at their teacher and at the law and every other authority, those are the kids who often, not always, are the ones that commit suicide. And suicide is the second highest killer among teenagers. Why do nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? There's one basic reason. Why is there so much child abuse? There is one Basic reason. Did you realize this is a rather new phenomenon? I realize there's always been child abuse, but not to the extent there is today. Do you? Why are so many young lives being thrown away? Six teenagers had a wreck just recently, having a good time, nobody going to tell me what to do, get a little drunk, speed down the highway, smashed into a telephone pole. Four of them are dead today and in eternity. And no amount of sorrow, no amount of regret, no amount of saying, well, I, you know, I, I, I didn't really mean to do it. I was just fooling around. Doesn't change things one iota. Four teenagers are in eternity. Four teenagers that wanted life. Four teenagers that wanted their freedom. When you demand your freedom without responsibility and without authority, then you automatically deny somebody else their freedom, you begin to push other people around. You begin to try to make your own way. Well, there's a deep underlying reason for all the suicide and divorce and drunkenness and unhappiness, and it's really quite simple. And I want to boil it down to two things. Number one is an unsurrendered will. The desire to be boss. Of my life. You see, all of us are faced with two choices. Give God control of our lives or try to control our lives ourselves. Two choices. Every individual, every child that's born into this world faces those two choices. Every teenager faces those two choices. Every adult faces those two choices and I'm not thinking only of teenagers tonight. There's a lot of adults in trouble because they never got this issue settled. There are people in religious work. I I gave you the example of one this morning that never got this issue settled. That man finally came head to head with those that, uh, that had the authority over him, refused to buckle under and went out and destroyed his life and that of his family, a Christian leader. And if we never get this issue settled, who's boss of my life? And the issue is this, am I going to be boss or is God going to be boss? You see, the word Lord means boss. That's what it means. To take Christ as Lord means that He is the boss of our life. He's the one who tells us what to do. The evidence of an unsurrendered will Is in our attitude. Nobody's going to push me around. Bitterness toward parents. When they threaten our control over ourselves, we say, hands off, lock our door. And any authority tends to threaten an unsurrendered will. Now, those who have a surrendered will have no problem with authority. Any legitimate authority can be handled by any individual who has a surrendered will to God because he recognizes that God is in control of all things, controls his circumstances. And have you noticed how easy it is for people that are have a spirit of meekness about them? Have you noticed how easy it is for them to get along with their wife, get along with their uh, uh, boss at work, get along with their um, fellow church members, to get along with their neighbors. Have you ever noticed that? And have you ever noticed how there are people who never really get along with anybody? And somehow, for some strange reason, the other person's always wrong. It's always their fault. Do you know what the real issue is? The real issue is an unsurrendered will. Bitterness toward parents when they threaten our control. Bitterness toward all authority. Bitterness toward God and the church. I'm talking about an unsurrendered will. The second reason or underlying reason is bondage to sin. Because when we refuse to come under the authority of God, We don't really have, let me back up a little bit. We only have two choices. We think it's between God's control over our lives or our control over our lives. Mm Mm-mm, that's not it. That's the way we set it up. That ain't the way it goes, friend of mine. Do you know what it is? There are only two masters in this world, and one is the mastery of the carnal mind over us, or the mastery of the Holy Spirit over us. And when we refuse the control of the Holy Spirit, we automatically come under the control of the carnal mind. And the carnal mind is death. It's death to friendships. It's death to relationships. It's death to everything. The carnal mind is death. You've seen spider webs. You know how they work. A spider in cleaning up around here the other day trying to get ready. Why uh, I had the privilege of just sweeping down thousands of spider webs. I guess. Anyway, there were a lot of them. And I saw spiders running everywhere. Spiders running here and there. Spiders. And I saw old dead carcasses of flies in those spider webs. Bees, all different kinds of things. Have you ever watched it? It's a very interesting thing. You watch sometime, kids. You watch you you, you get a hold of uh, you watch a spy, you watch the web sometime, and then uh, sort of uh, shoe a fly near there, and let that fly get in that spider web. And you know what'll happen? He'll begin to flutter, and he'll begin to exert his freedom. You know what he's trying to do? He's trying to exert his freedom. And the more he tries to exert his freedom, the more in bondage he becomes. He gets all wrapped up in that old sticky web and he begins to twist and turn and he does his best and finally he begins. Finally, gets down to a mere quiver. And the old spider's just sitting there over the side, just got his hands folded, I guess. Anyway, he's watching the scene. He doesn't get excited. Just watching things go on. And finally, when that fly settles down to a quiver and the spider knows that he's got him the old spider goes over there wraps him up securely and he's got another victim that's exactly the way sin works in our life that's exactly the more we insist on our freedom the more we defy authority the more we resist The authority of our parents, and the more we resist God's constituted authority, and the more we resist the Spirit of God, the more we thrash around in our freedom, the more we become entangled in the web of a carnal heart and a carnal mind. The more in bondage we become to anger, the more in bondage we become to bitterness and hatred the more in bondage we become we we get into to lust and there's a direct connection between rebellion and lust because the carnal mind releases those cravings those passionate desires of lust and when we refuse to come under the authority of god we set loose those cravings that can never be fully satisfied The more in bondage we become to habits, the more in bondage we become to bad attitudes, and the more miserable we become as human beings, and the lower our self-esteem goes. And the lower our self-esteem goes, the more our rebellion goes up, the more we square our shoulders and try to prove that we're somebody. The more we thrash around, the more in bondage we become. A woman said, I've got an uncontrollable anger. She said, my parents had an uncontrollable anger. My grandparents had an uncontrollable anger. She said, I've wept over it. I've lost friends over it. I've cried. I've prayed God to deliver me from this uncontrollable anger. She said, not until I took the Bible route was I ever delivered from that uncontrollable anger? And then she testified, I'm going to leave that for just a few moments, of how God delivered her from that uncontrollable anger. But you know what her problem was? Exactly the same problem as those teenagers. Deep down in her heart, she had had decided she was going to go her own way. And the more she did, the more, this uncontrollable anger took over in her life. Nobody deep down who has any respect for themselves wants to be in bondage. But the more we struggle to try to exert our freedom outside of God, the more in bondage we become. We come. I want to uh, read a passage and invite you to turn with me to John chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 31 through 36. These were the verses that um, some of the men read together, that we read together over at the men's retreat, and uh, they were blessed mightily to my own heart and mine, and I think some of the others felt that they were to them as well, and they speak a tremendous truth. They show us, in fact, how we can be free from this bondage, this bondage of the carnal mind. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36 reads, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be free? Now, I want you to get the picture Jesus is telling some people, here's the way to freedom. You know what their reaction was? Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? We're religious people. We're children of Abraham. We're not in bondage to any man. Nobody's pushing us around. We're free. We're already free. Do you know the people that shout freedom the loudest or the least free? Jesus saw the bondage of their own heart. Jesus saw their bondage to the law, their bondage to their own corrupt nature. Jesus saw their bondage to their sin. But did you know that nobody can be free until they admit they're in bondage? And he said, the truth, the truth about yourself, the truth about what God has done to set you free, the truth will set you free if you'll face up to the truth. And Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Let me put a little test to you tonight. You feel like you're free? Let me ask you, have you committed sin within the last six weeks? Hmm? Maybe even today. Maybe this past week. Jesus said, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin of sin now he wasn't talking because this is in the continuous present he was not talking of a person who commits a sin and then truly repents and is liberated from that sin we're no longer in bondage to it then whosoever committed sin is the servant and that word actually means slave is the slave of sin. And then notice in verse 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. That is, the slave doesn't abide in God's house forever. You say, well, I I really believe I'm going to make it to heaven. Well, I, I, I hope everybody here makes it to heaven, but the evidence is whether we're free or not, as to whether or not we're sons instead of servants. Sons instead of slaves to sin. Verse 36 if the, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I want to say to everybody here tonight, young and old, you can be free. We can be free tonight. We can be free from sin. We can be free from the condemnation of sin. We can be free from the bondage to sin. We can be free from the habits of sin. We can be free from the guilt of sin. We can be free tonight ye shall be free indeed. What a wonderful thing that is. Oh, somehow I wish somebody could get to those three boys that were in such bondage to this idea that nobody's going to push me around and say, hey, look, fellas, you don't have to go that route. It leads to a dead-end road. It leads to death. But you can be free. You can be free. And it's found in Christ Jesus. Jesus. Tonight, I want to just mention three simple truths, perhaps only two here, that have set thousands of others free. And I want you to listen carefully, young and old. And I want you to ask yourself, am I really, really, truly free? Am I free from the anger that stirs, stirred deep in my soul? Am I free from the lust that drives me on? By the way... Physical desires are not wrong in themselves, but physical desires uncontrolled by the Spirit are the lusts that are evil and that control our lives and bring us into bondage. Are you free from those uncontrolled desires? Are you free from the bitterness? Are you free from the anger? Are you free from this terrible pride? that makes you want to put everybody else down and show off? Well, there are, three, there are three steps, and I want to mention them quickly. The first step is the step of complete repentance. And I, 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 want to, I want to emphasize this tonight. I know the word repentance, we've heard it over and over and over again, but listen, friends, repentance is not an enemy. It's the gateway to freedom. It's the gateway to freedom. Nobody can be truly free who doesn't repent. Therefore, we need to understand repentance because it's the gateway to freedom. Well, what, is, what are the elements of repentance? Number one, repentance is accepting responsibility for our own sin. Agreeing with God when He points out the sin of our heart. There are some cultures That are so geared to saving face that they they militate against people taking responsibility for their own actions. If they miss the bus, they don't say, I was late, I missed the bus. They say, the bus left me. Save face. Not my responsibility, the bus left me. If they knock a glass of water off the table, they don't say, Huh, boy, I was foolish. I knocked the glass off the table. They say, the glass fell off the table. Subtle little difference, but it's a simple way of saving face. And listen, it makes the difference in a whole outcome of your life of whether or not you can know the truth about yourself. He that knoweth the truth, that truth will set him free. And the first truth you have to face up to is the truth of your own sin, the truth of your own failure, the truth of your own iniquity. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 79, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Have you ever said before, God, I am desperately wicked, oh God. Oh, I've heard a lot of confessions. And a lot of confessions go something like this. Well, I realize I made a mistake, but you ought to re- but, but let me tell you what the other person did. I realize I, yeah, I, I fell into sin as though, you know, somehow I just was walking along, minding my own P's and Q's, doing what I ought to do, and bloop I fell into sin. No responsibility on my part. Listen, friends, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. We fall into sin when we walk the road that leads to that hole in the ground. We fall into sin when we turn our minds from Christ and begin to turn our minds to the ways of selfishness and the world and the flesh and the devil. And then we fall into sin. The heart of man is desperately wicked. And so when we come to repentance, the first thing that we need to say is to say, that's right, Lord. That's me. My heart is desperately wicked. No more of this powdering over the what I think are just little blemishes, little pimples of my life. No more trying to solve the deep, uh, the deep disease of my soul with taking a little, little uh, aspirin. Lord, I recognize that deep in my soul is an inward wickedness, an inward rebellion against God, an inward rejection of God. Oh God, my heart is desperately wicked. That's the reason I did what I did. I'm a sinner. And you'll feel like Paul felt when Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. When you come to that place, not my parents' fault, Lord. Oh, yes, they may have made mistakes. I can't hide from that. And I'm not trying to play up the mistakes of parents, but I'm also trying to recognize that all of us as parents make mistakes. But listen, people, and especially to the young people here tonight, listen, or I don't want to limit it, limit it to young men. There are older people that are still blaming your parents for the way you are and what happened. When you come before God, you're going to have to forget about your parents and the mistakes they may have made, whether they whether whether you're right or wrong about whether they made mistakes. If, the, if they made mistakes, it's not going to solve the problem by continuing to blame your own action on them. Because God doesn't hold you responsible for what they did, God holds you responsible for your reaction to what they did. And you're going to have to stand before God and face up to what you did and your choice you made in spite of what anybody else in the whole wide world has done to you or said about you. Not my parents, Lord. Not their fault. I didn't just fall into immorality. I chose this way. I didn't just fall Fall into this situation I chose this way listen have you ever come to that place where you faced up to your responsibility I have sinned I have sinned and done this iniquity in God's sight nobody else is responsible for the choice I made Oh, yes, some things need to be worked out and straightened out in our relationships, but that doesn't prevent my obeying God. I'm the one that chose to rebel against God. I'm the one that has a wicked heart. I'm the one that chose to sin against God. I have sinned. I hold in my hand tonight a a pamphlet that I hesitate to read, and yet I feel constrained that it ought to be. It's entitled, Free Indeed, by a woman who for 44 years was a lesbian. 44 years. I talked to the pastor of this woman, and the pastor confirmed the fact that this individual has truly been set free and has been walking with the Lord in freedom now for several years. This is not just an overnight thing that uh, had a little... uh, emotional spell and then was gone and the reason I want to read it tonight or just some excerpts from it is this there are many preachers and many good and godly people who take the attitude that the sins of homosexuality can never that a homosexual or lesbian can never be set free friend that isn't true and this is one of the greatest challenges to the Christian church today is to prove the power of God, that God can set these people free. And instead of showing bitterness and anger against them is to be able to show them there's a way out of your bondage. There's a way to freedom. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just going to mention. And one of the first things that she mentions, or one of the things that she emphasized, is that she never was able to get free. She attended churches. She professed to get saved. She professed to be born again, but never got free until she came to the place where she admitted frankly and openly before God, I am a lesbian. I, ha- I chose this way. It was my choice And she said, I had to go back to that time when I was a little girl. I forget the age. Uh, It was a very small girl, very small, way below teenage years. She said, I remember the time when I chose, not the whole life. She didn't know the whole life before her, but she chose what she knew to be wicked at that time. And when she chose that way, the devil led her step by step by step down a road of increasing bondage, increasing hatred of herself, increasing despair that almost came to the point where she took her own life. Her roommate did commit suicide and she was on the verge of it. It was a struggle. And the most difficult, now here's the thing that I want to emphasize. The most difficult thing this woman had A woman who had lived in this condition, I want to tell you, for 44 years. But she had never previously been able to bring herself to say and admit to herself, I am a lesbian. I am a sinner. My heart is wicked. Previously, she blamed her father. She was bitter against her father. Previously, she blamed everybody else all around her. But finally, when it came to that last desperate hour where God showed her it's tonight or never, finally she came to the point through the counsel of a wise and godly woman who finally said to her, you know that you're a lesbian and your soul will never let you forget it. And in the night hours that cried out to her, my soul will not let me forget it. My soul will not let me forget it. And her soul never did let her forget it. Finally, she came to the point where she said, in my praying, and I want you to get this, in my mind and in my heart, she said, I went back to that time nearly 44 years ago when as a little girl I made a choice. I relived that instance and I brought it before God and said, oh God, I made that choice I'm responsible, I sinned against God, and I am a sinner. My heart is wicked before God. You would think that a person who had lived for 44 years in sin would be able to say very easily, well, sure, I'm a sinner, I know, but that's not always true. Oh, you can say it glibly with your lips, but to be able to reject it in your heart is another thing. Many times that is the reason why a person that has lived in deep sin but isn't, but doesn't try to hide it can get saved quicker than the person that tries to put on a facade, that tries to put on a front, that tries to put on a religious front like she was. Oh, the person that's living, that's the reason Jesus said the publicans and the harlots will go into heaven before you Pharisees. Why? Their sin was buried deep within and they were trying to deny it to the world. They were living openly in sin and admitted it to the world. But regardless of our position, whether we are trying to hide from the world or whether our sin is blazing before the world, we've got to come to that place where before God we are willing to admit, I am a sinner. Admit the root cause of sin. You see, the root cause, I'm talking about repentance. Admit that we are a sinner. That's, that's the first part of repentance. And the second part of repentance is admitting the root cause. Admitting what the basic issue is. What is the basic issue? The basic I- issue is the same thing I emphasized in the beginning this confrontation with God this desire to be boss of our life this desire to be in control of our life this this determination I'm not going to be pushed around by anybody not even God but to admit that the root cause the basic problem of my life is my rebellion against God my desire to be my own boss instead of letting God be boss of my life. And the third part of repentance is recognizing the consequence of our sin. Recognizing the consequence. Oh, surely as far as the consequence to ourself and the consequence to those that we love, oh, when we recognize that dear woman had to recognize that it was largely her responsibility that her roommate committed suicide. Friends, that's a terrible thing. That's a terrible thing. Our sin always brings terrible results to other people. But there's something deeper than that, and that is to recognize that our sin caused Christ to have to die on the cross. You remember in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. That's the reason He had to die. And friends, when when we come to the place of thorough repentance, we will begin to recognize my sin is not a minor thing. My sin is not a small thing. My sin cannot be lightly dismissed. My sin caused those nails to be driven in His hands. Those my sins caused that spear to be driven in His side. It was for me He died on the cross. I'm responsible for the crucifixion of the Son of God and I will be held accountable before the throne of the universe. I've sinned against God and it was my sin that caused God to send His Son into the world and to die for me, my sin, the terrible consequences of sin. But then I want you to notice not only thorough repentance, but second, the second step in getting free is simply to believe God. Believe God. Now that bears on the same thing to begin with. Believe God in what He says about you. Friends, we get to the place... In thorough repentance, when we don't try to hide from God as we read through this Bible, our sins stand out. And when we read David's lament in the fifty verse uh, Psalm, we say, "Oh God, that's me." When we read of the sin of Israel, we say, "Oh God, that's me." When we read of the sin of Judas, we say, "Oh God, that's me. I betrayed You." Believe God. Believe God when He says your heart is wicked. Believe God. Do you believe Him tonight? But not only that, believe Him in His gracious promises that when we come with a broken and a contrite heart, He will not despise us and He will not despise the repentance of our soul. Believe Him when He says, I do love you. Believe Him when He says, I died for you. Believe Him when He said, I poured out my life's blood for you. Believe Him when He said that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Believe Him when He says that. Believe God. And then finally, open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Open your heart to the Holy Spirit. Open your heart to the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. Oh, this dear woman tells about the time when she came to the place. She said, I had to let go the sin I was holding on to. I cried out to God to enable me to do so. I had to reverse my decision. I had chosen to become a lesbian. I was not born that way. I couldn't use that as an excuse. No one is. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations. God showed me that I made that decision when I was a small child, a uh, small child. I knew I was choosing an evil thing. I had to repent of that choice and that act and set my will against it. I cried out to God for forgiveness and lamented that decision until godly sorrow filled my heart. She said, I saw the the pride and the self-righteousness of my heart and I saw the need to break with anything that would bind me to my sin. Notice what she said. I had to change my wardrobe and wear only feminine clothing. Sure she did. Anybody that wants to come clean with God will do that. Men will dress like men and women will dress like women. If we want to be free, you're not free by simply following the the unisex fads. You're not free. You're coming under a terrible bondage. If you want to be free, then you be completely free from that terrible desire that is dragging your soul into a desire to be something other than what God made you. I had to change my mannerisms. I saw that to the defiled nothing is pure and I had to change my thinking. I began to see that sin, is, uh, uh, that sin is very horrid and an abomination to God. I saw that the rebellion and hatred for my father were outward manifestations of my rebellion against God. I saw that my sin was against nature and that God hated it and that the wrath of God was over me. I prayed God would keep me alive until He could save me. But then she said, I came to the place, she mentions here, there was one sin. I had to admit there was exactly one incident I was hoping no one would ever find out. But God enabled me to confess all and I knew in my soul there was nothing more hidden. I was uncovered before God. But she said, I prayed to God all the promises He had given to me for my salvation and He gave me faith to believe on Christ. And then he witnessed to my soul that I'd been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. And then she goes on to praise God for the deliverance of her soul. Listen, you can have deliverance tonight. Every individual here. Oh, I doubt if there are any or many that have this sin. If there are, why, God can deliver you just like he can deliver anybody else. You're no worse in God's sight than any other sinner. God loves you, Christ died for you there's a way of deliverance you can be free indeed praise the Lord, praise the Lord you can be free, but oh if your problem is a deep hatred, a deep anger a deep bitterness, if your problem is is lost, if your problem whatever it is, I'm glad to tell you tonight there's a way out, there's deliverance there's freedom for you tonight praise the Lord, I'd like for us to stand together and I'd like for us to bow our heads I don't
1: want to take
0: paths i don't want to lose the fight